Welcome to the Taking Your Time podcast, where we help you with time-saving tips and strategies. We also hope to cultivate a greater appreciation for our most precious resource, and that's time. I'm your host, Jacques. Hello, fellow time hackers. So if you're listening at the day of this recording, it is June 8th, which is National Best Friends Day. I wasn't sure if it was a real holiday, so I looked it up, and according to this one website I found, in 1935, the U.S. Congress convened to make this a national holiday. However, I could not find a reference to that anywhere, which was really interesting, so I kept on digging, and it turns out this holiday just sort of came out of nowhere. There was one website that started mentioning it, and then another, and then it went viral, and then I, maybe in the past few years, it's actually started to become this commercial thing where people are celebrating their best friends and businesses are offering some sort of discounts or things that you can do together. Even if National Best Friends Day is not a real official holiday, that doesn't mean it can't be real to us. So I choose to believe in BFF Day. Maybe you want to call it Biffle Day, but I think it's so important that we keep up with our friends. I was adopted, and so for me, relationships doesn't matter whether it spans across blood or friendships. To me, my best friends are part of my extended family. I was looking for some good stats on maybe how much time people spend with their best friends or how often they speak to each other. I didn't really find anything good. I did find a few statistics stating that people spend an hour a day with their friends. I find that a little bit suspect given how uh, little time we actually have. But I did find a good study done by Evite that claimed for the average person, you've got three besties. You've got five good friends, and then you have eight people that you like, but you don't really hang out with them one-on-one. -on -one. Now, what's interesting is that one, two, three, five, eight follows is the Fibonacci sequence, and three, five, and eight are some of the statistics in here. So I think, I think it's a coincidence. I'm just kidding. There's no relationship there, but I think it's really interesting if you want to spend more time with your friends, but maybe you don't feel like you have the time, here are some tips that might help with that. I think the first thing that you can do is you can toss social media. Why? We just went over the numbers. Three besties, five good friends, and eight people that you don't really hang out with. So you don't have a lot of time to invest in perhaps second and third connections. And that's what social media tends to do. Maybe even go beyond that news articles and things like that, that your friends, it's not really giving you a deeper connection, even though you think it is, or it's sort of taking the place of that. So bypassing social media and having real conversations in real time with your friend as a replacement is probably going to be a better way to get that time with your friends. Now, if you're crunched for time, I think one of the ways that you can keep the relationship alive is by sharing information in a way that isn't necessarily time consuming. So, so as things are happening in real time, I love to leverage texting rather than sort of dumping everything in a phone call. So in real time, if something great happened at work, I'll text my friend, 
Maybe I'll ask them what's going on with their day. And so we get to celebrate these milestones, maybe important anniversaries in their lives that I can say, hey, I remember today is your fifth wedding anniversary, something like that. Those are fun little things that you can do, but it don't take a lot of time. They're asynchronous in nature. And that's a, it's a good way to sort of keep the connection going in between those times that you can't meet up and have those extended conversations and those extended get togethers. Now, the maybe the last sort of tip in this realm here is if you with all that, if you still want to have that deeper connection with your besties, according to the statistics here, you can have three besties, although some might argue that you can only have one best friend. I like to believe that you can have as many best friends as you feel like having. Uh, so if you try those things and you're still craving to have more time, one of the things that you can do is bring your friends together with your family on a vacation. So take the vacation that you would normally have anyway, and then maybe set aside one or two of those days or more, if you like, to spend with your friends and family together. So it doesn't necessarily have to extend your vacation, but it does give you that extra time with them. Today, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into this idea of avoiding sleep or unlocking more time, compressing sleep, whatever you want to call it. It's hard to avoid in this demanding lifestyle that we have in the modern age that sleep is this thing that sort of always comes up. We never have enough of it. At the same time, we wished we could get by with much less of it. We talk about it every day. We talk about the importance of getting a good night's rest. And yet we don't. And yet we get less time than our ancestors did over a, a typical night. Doctors recommend eight hours of sleep a day. But that ends up equating to one third of your life. So for many people, there's this temptation to maybe push a little bit on how late we can stay up or how early uh, we can wake up and and get a little bit more out of our days. But then we tend to get uh, sleep debt and end up sleeping in later. So the question is, like, how can you maybe short circuit that without the sleep debt? And it's an interesting question. I think a lot of people are intrigued by this topic and there's a lot of different and interesting perspectives out there. The first thing that I will say is one, I am not a doctor, so this is not a recommendation. And two, these are just my opinions and, and how I like to think about things. So there are obviously many other ways of sleeping that people have experienced. They don't always go to bed at this one very specific time, sleep perfectly through eight hours, and then wake up. We have frontline first responders that tend to be on different schedules that require them to work continuously throughout 24-hour periods. And so their sleep is not quite the same as that eight-hour block once every 24 hours. So think like firefighters and nurses. So we know that there for some people, they actually have to function in a world where they cannot get eight hours of sleep every day. Now they make up for it by trying to sleep more 
other times or taking naps, things like that. And so that's where it comes in is like, how effective is that? How does that impact the human body? Are you actually gaining anything or are you just shifting the sleep time around? And does the body require at this time? I think any mother or father with a newborn will tell you that they wish they could get more sleep. So there is a strong signal from the body when we don't get a solid, unbroken, uninterrupted grouping of eight hours, then there is a fatigue and a general desire for the body to want to get that extra sleep. You may have heard of polyphasic sleeping. So where our natural state is pretty much to be monophasic sleepers in this modern world, there have been arguments from different camps that in the past and as observed in some animals, we may naturally be polyphasic sleepers, but something in you know modern times has changed how we approach things. But as polyphasic sleepers, we would actually sleep throughout the day in many different segments, taking basically naps to get us to the next nap and not having a long, solid block of time. So we call that polyphasic, and there's many different variations of that. And if you think about it, there's even some evidence culturally that there are alternative sleep schedules aside from the monophasic way that we traditionally think of. In Japan, it is socially acceptable to take a nap at a you know work uh, function at dinner parties. They call that inamuri, and I, I may be pronouncing that wrong. And then in Spain, there is a tradition where e even in some cities, they've gone as far as making local ordinances in the afternoon to protect what they call a siesta. So clearly it's possible to sleep in different ways besides one big chunk at night. But what is the practical application of that? Can we use that as a productivity tool? Can we use that as a way to get more time. It's a little bit unclear because there haven't been large sleep studies that specifically focus on these alternative ways of polyphasic sleeping. What I can tell you is that study after study shows that a lack of sleep will create all kinds of mental health issues, will drop your energy, have negative impacts on your mood, your alertness, your cognitive performance, clearly not getting the sleep that your body needs is going to create a penalty for trying to gain more time not sleeping. So the question is, what is the practical value of being awake more? And then how does this penalty counteract the benefits of that extra time? An interesting study done by NASA, uh, Rosekin found that pilots when taking uh, naps performed 34% more effectively than pilots that did not take a nap prior to their shifts. Now that number comes from measuring things like microsleeps, visual acuity, alertness. And what the study suggests is that even looking at something like naps, that sleeping on an alternative schedule can, in some cases, improve performance. So it is possible. When I was in my late 20s, I was actually 
a CTO and co-founder at two completely unrelated startups that were successful, growing, and pretty demanding on time. And it was already pretty challenging to balance between the two things. And then my wife, she ended up being pregnant with our second child, which I loved, but also, wow, that's crazy (laughs) with all the things going on. And I felt like I could find a way to make it work. So I studied polyphasic sleeping and looked at the journals of people who had been doing it and I tried it out. And I will say that I did achieve a level of partial success with it. I think there were some ingredients in there that allowed me to be successful uh, that may not be normal. So for one, I was not going to get a solid eight hours of sleep anyway. With a newborn, they wake up constantly throughout the night and I wanted to be able to contribute. So I was already going to be forced into a different sleeping pattern. This just allowed me to structure in a way where I could optimize the impact that it was going to have on my body and be able to create those cadences that I could maybe reduce fatigue in between those naps throughout the day. And then maybe not sleep in other parts of the day in large chunks, but continue that napping cycle. So that's what I did. I did what's called the Uberman sleep cycle, which is there's no one large block of time. You actually just every four to six hours, you take a 20 minute nap and that's it. You get these 20 minute naps throughout the day. You can't go too long because then that's going to put your body into a state where it's really hard to get out of that nap and then you sort of fall off the cycle. So it was very important that you stuck to those timings. So having a newborn already forced me into a new schedule. That was sort of one unique advantage that I had. The other unique advantage is that I was in a position that allowed me to sort of maintain my own schedule and dictate the timing of those naps so that I could find ways to sneak off into another floor, to another office and and take a nap and nobody would really question me. And so I know I recognize that not everyone has that these two variables that that they can control. However, if you do ever find yourself in a situation where you have a newborn, maybe that's something you can try instead of just being interrupted at random times during the night, just have this napping schedule that you maintain throughout the day and perhaps you'll be able to get by on less sleep and may actually be a little bit more productive, which I felt like I was because I had so much more time unlocked. I was sleeping two to three hours a day versus the full eight hours that I typically would. And so even maybe my levels of cognitive performance were a little lower, but because of how much time I unlocked during that period, that's sort of more than made up for it. But that's my personal experience. I think that many others just wouldn't be able to function on that amount of sleep. So I think it's very individualistic as far as what's possible. Please do not have a baby in order to try this. But if you do happen to have a baby, you can try it. So that's sort of maybe strategy number one for how you can do this, which is 
try a polyphasic sleeping schedule, but maybe something less extreme. What I did was called the Uberman sleep cycle. It was based on a study of transatlantic racers. And so it's not quite a normal uh, thing that's going to be easy to adapt to, but maybe something that's more natural is a biphasic sleep cycle. We talked about how some cultures have like a nap during this low energy part of the day that may be driven by natural circadian rhythms. So the siesta in Spain is one example of those. So that is maybe having a little less sleep at night and then compensating for it by having a quick nap in the early afternoon. And so maybe you can shave a little bit of time off of your overall. Maybe you can do six hours at night and take a 30-minute nap in the day and, and maybe get back in an hour and a half each day. I don't know. I've tried different things, but I think the better strategy is to focus on getting a high-quality night's sleep because then your body isn't going to try to sleep for a longer duration because it didn't get all of the amount of time in each of the sleep cycles like your REM cycles that it's looking to have. If you don't know about that, when you sleep, you go through these different phases and some are heavier and they have different functions for the brain. And we don't know a lot about all of these things. And so we're still doing a lot of sleep studies. But what is clear is that when we interrupt uh, sleep at the wrong moments, uh, the body doesn't get to go through all of these phases and we don't feel like we're rested, and so then we just end up wanting to sleep more. I think, in general, the best strategy is to focus on getting the highest quality night's sleep as you can so that you aren't trying to make up for it later and you're not wasting your time in bed, not actually getting rest. Investing in a good pillow and a mattress that is comfortable is well worth your money. There's really not much else in life that you can really invest in and get that daily return on your productivity and on your health than those things that you use every day. So pillow and mattress is something you should look into. Another thing that studies have shown is that having a lower sleeping temperature, turning the thermostat down, at least for that part of the night, and maybe you could put it on a schedule so it comes back to a more normal temperature when it's time to wake up. But around 65 degrees is the ideal sleeping temperature where you can go to sleep quickly and stay in a phase of sleep. Going to bed at a consistent time is also very important. When, and when you shift your time that you fall asleep by more than 20 minutes, that actually starts to mess with your circadian rhythm and you can't get to sleep as quick and you're not able to get um, the same level of quality. And then the other thing that many people don't realize is we have these electronics that disrupt our sleep. Part of that is because the electronics themselves keep our brains active and don't allow us to relax. But also there's this thing called blue light, which they emit, which is similar to what the type of light that you're going to get from the sun during the day. So it sort of tricks your body uh, into thinking like you don't have to sleep right now because you're getting blue light. So make sure that any devices that you use after the sun goes down have as, as much as possible have those settings 
that you can reduce the blue light automatically. And then if you don't, like maybe your TV might not have that capability. There are glasses and things that you can get, you can wear on in the inside of your house that they don't, they're not prescription or anything, but they block some of that blue light and prevent that from affecting your sleep. So I think these are all valid ways. I do think a, a quality sleep is, is a good thing to look at. I think you can try the polyphasic sleeping schedules. I think there's a question, though, of even if you are able to get into a sleep cycle that allows you to get less than eight hours but still function during the day, what is your level of performance throughout your waking hours? So if you're operating at a 50% lower effective performance, then saving one or two or three hours of sleep per day isn't going to really make up for that amount of lack of performance and plus any other secondary impacts to your health in the long term. So I think you really have to weigh the pros and cons, even if you are able to achieve a state where you can get by on less sleep. There are maybe minimum amounts of sleep that the body needs to get as well. There was a study done with the Swedish National March cohort where they were looking at morbidity and they found that there was a higher um, chance of morbidity for the participants that got less than five hours of sleep. But then when they slept more on the weekend to make up for it, that sort of counteracted those negative health effects. At the same time, though, if you're sleeping more on the weekend just to make up for sleeping less during the week, I don't know that you're really saving time. You're really just shifting around when you sleep and you may be more fatigued during the week when you have those evenings where you're getting less hours of sleep. I think that there are definitely a lot of different ways to look at this. And so you have to pick apart what makes the most sense for you and for your lifestyle. Thank you all so much for listening to my podcast. I do have an ask for you. If you enjoyed this podcast and enjoyed some of the topics that you heard today, please follow us. And if you have Apple, if you could rate us in the podcast app, that really helps us expand our reach and help more folks discover uh, this podcast. And we would really appreciate that. Thank you very much. And remember, life is how you choose to spend your time. Please use it wisely.